Hello, Whispers, and welcome back to the Residual Whispers podcast. Every week, we explore a new haunted location or paranormal occurrence from around the world. I'm your host, Sky, And I am your co-host, Brian. And this week is not only episode 14 of Residual Whispers, but episode 1 of Halloween's Week. Yeah, yeah. Brought to you by the Warrens. We've been so excited for this moment, and we're really excited that it's finally here. We have been working really hard to get all the preparations out of the way, get all the blog articles ready to bring you guys these episodes, and so we hope that you enjoy. And we'll dive right in. We are bringing you on this first episode for Halloween's Week, the story of the Smurl family haunting. Ooh. Oh, uh, we did want to mention, actually before we get started, that um, we did make it into the Shout Out Colorado magazine. Yes, we did. As we had mentioned in an earlier episode. And that um, article is finally live. I did an interview with them and it was really cool. So if you'd like to check that out, you can find the links on any of our social media. And we just want to thank you guys again for all of your support. And we couldn't be more grateful to be here with you. And shout out to Shout Out. So, the Smurl Family Haunting. In October of 1973, the Smurl family moved into a duplex at 328 Chase Street in West Pittston, Pennsylvania. West Pittston, Pennsylvania. Pittston. Pittston. Yes, it's, Pits. it's a little bit of a mouthful. Love it. <laughs> For almost a decade, things were mostly peaceful, and the Smurls lived a quiet life. In 1985, a demonic presence awoke within the home, and the terrifying events that followed led them to call Ed and Lorraine Warren, a couple who had taken the world of demonology and paranormal investigation by storm. So as we said, we were going to cover some lesser known Ed and Lorraine Warren cases that maybe aren't as popular as, of course, the Conjuring cases, the Perrin family, the Amityville horror, all those kinds of things. Yes, of course, Annabelle, who could forget? Mm -hmm. So Brian, have you ever heard about the Smurl family? I have actually, because I am kind of an Ed and Lorraine junkie. I love (laughs) them very much. I went to the midnight premieres of all the movies. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Um, But no, I definitely, this was one of their like really, really big cases that like really put them on the map and like kind of I don't want to say like solidified their reputation because I feel like they never fully got their reputation solidified the way they should have right but like definitely something that made people go hmm yeah absolutely I do agree this actually this is a bigger Ed and Lorraine Warren case but if you just ask the average person to maybe name off some of the cases right very few people know the details of this those of us who are not crazy psycho horror thrill seekers such as we are Such as ourselves. Such as ourselves. (laughs) So um, before we get started with all the details about the Smurl family's experience, it's important that we take a minute to talk about who Ed and Lorraine were and how they became so famous in the world of paranormal investigation. Edward Warren and Lorraine Morn, which I didn't know her maiden name Mm -hmm. was Morn. Morn. I think that's awesome. Very fitting. They met at a movie theater as teenagers in 1943, and they quickly fell in love. Soon after, Ed was sent to fight in World War II for the U.S. Navy. When he returned safely in 1945 after his ship went down in the North Atlantic Sea, Ed and Lorraine were wed before he returned to service for several more years. So basically, I read that, like, while he was at war in World War II, his, like, ship that he was on, like, sank. Oh, my God. Yeah, and so he survived that attack on his ship, and the ship sank, and so they sent him home for a little while as, like, a 
survivor's leave, I guess it was called. That I did not know. Yeah, super interesting. So after facing near death, he came home and basically married Lorraine right away. And then he went back into the Navy for a few years. Talk about realizing life is short. Yeah, exactly. But luckily, he made it through safe and sound. So they had been raised in strict Roman Catholic households. So it seems like Catholicism is a big part of our weeks, our last week and this week. Oh, yeah. Um, It's kind of a funny coincidence. But they continued to practice this faith moving forward. Ed took a liking to art and painting, which became a kind of therapy for him after his experiences in the Army. This was something Lorraine enjoyed as well, later saying, quote, we began our marriage under the assumption that we were going to be artists. So that was their original goal, was to make their living off of their paintings and such. That's right. They did paint. Yeah. So Ed believed that the house he grew up in was haunted, and the paranormal was always something he had been interested in. Lorraine had possessed psychic and clairvoyant abilities since she was a child. And although she was skeptical of the paranormal and the idea of ghosts, She began to realize later on that her gift could be used to help those suffering from demonic hauntings. As a kind of hobby, Ed and Lorraine began to merge these worlds, visiting haunted houses which they would paint landscape pictures of afterwards. In 1950, Lorraine gave birth to their Jotty. Their Jotty? Their Jotty. Lorraine gave birth to their daughter, Judy, who we see in, I believe, the second Conjuring movie. Yes. Because yeah. that's, yeah, that's the one with like the, her Nana is watching her at the house and Annabelle and stuff. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So we get to see a depiction of Judy in some of the movies. She was the, uh, the Warren's only child. Yes, she was. So as they began to dive deeper into paranormal investigation, they founded the New England Society for Psychic Research or NESPR. In 19, Nesper. yes. And it's kind of like whisper. Whisper. It's meant to be. Love it. So um, they founded that uh, society in 1952. Ed began to research demonology and would later consider himself a self-taught demonologist. Absolutely. Uh, Being a part of the Roman Catholic faith, they began to attribute hauntings to being caused by demons, believing that a lack of faith in God invited such entities to inhabit places or attach themselves to people and objects. They also started their occult museum. This was the space in their Monroe, Connecticut home, which attached to Ed's office. There they kept an array of haunted objects, as well as files and tapes from their growing list of investigations. The Warrens believed that objects could not be possessed, only the energy could be tied to them. So I thought that was an interesting tidbit, because like as far as uh, Annabelle goes, they don't think that there was like a spirit inside of her. Annabelle was a conduit. Right. Yeah. Like how we talked about um, Harold the doll, of course, and how there was believed to be like several spirits inside the doll, like trapped right. inside. And then Lorraine would not have agreed with that theory. No, they would just have thought that the doll, like Annabelle, was being used as a conduit. Right. Or like held like that residual energy, right. like we always talk right. about. Right. Residual. So, Um, Speaking of which, residual, um, there is several good pictures this week as usual on residual whispers.blog. So you guys should definitely go check them out. Um, There's a pretty cool photo that shows like one of the corners of Ed and Lorraine's museum. And there is a wild array of objects in there. There's like posters and paintings and just doll heads and like creepy figurines and all sorts of stuff. Chairs so, and knickknacks and all yeah, kinds of stuff. It would be a dream to go check it out in oh person. God, I know for real. If you have that opportunity, take it. And if you have been, let us know. Send us an email. Leave a comment. Yeah, we would love to hear all about it. So their fame began to take off after investigating the Annabelle case in 1968 and the Perrin family haunting, which is the Conjuring case, mm-hmm. in 1971. 
1977, they had also investigated the Amityville Horror and Enfield Poltergeist, which The Conjuring 2 was based off of. Of course, the Warrens were not met without controversy. Although the Warrens charged nothing for their investigations, they made their money by lecturing at colleges and universities. They also signed away rights for books and future movies about their cases. Because of this, some accused them of over-exaggerating the details of their investigations and being in it only for the money. I know. Stupid. I agree. Luckily, I mean, today, the Warrens are pretty much respected. Like, they're they're pretty Thank credited. God. Like, they overcame the controversy they faced, which is good. Um, because, like, if you watch any sincere interviews of them, they seem like such genuine, selfless people. Like, authentic people. people. Like. Yeah. And, like, as we've learned, like, and believing in the paranormal, as I'm sure you do if you're listening to this, like, demons are no effing joke. Heck so no. to continue to put themselves in the path of, like, something being tied to them or like, you know, any of that. It's like, they must've really cared. Exactly. And as anyone who has seen all the movies knows that stuff took a toll on Lorraine. Yeah, absolutely. Like a huge toll on her each time something like that happened to them. Like she legit saw visions of Ed being killed several times. Like, yeah. Yeah. It was intense. And so I, for one, believe in them very much. I do too. In 1981, Arnie Cheyenne Watson murdered his landlord. During his trial, Ed and Lorraine testified that he had been under the influence of demonic possession, and the controversy surrounding the Warrens grew. This case would later serve as the inspiration for the third Conjuring movie, Mm -hmm. The Devil Made Me Do It. Interest in the Warrens died down in the 90s and 2000s, but was renewed with the release of the first Conjuring movie in 2013. Um, so, Brian, as I as we were kind of looking at earlier, there's a picture on the blog of Lorraine Warren kind of in her older years. Mm-hmm. And she looks so different than some of the other pictures you're going to see on the blog from when she was young. So definitely, definitely one of seeing her, her more age. recent photos that was ever taken. Yeah. And she's with Vera Farmiga, Farmiga, Vera Farmiga, who plays her in the Conjuring movies. Love. And her. so it's a super cool picture. If you want to go check it out, residual whispers dot blog. You know where to find it. So, Ed Warren passed away on August 23, 2006, inside of their Connecticut home. On April 18, 2019, Lorraine followed him. The Warrens mm-hmm. continued to maintain that they had told the whole truth about their experiences and stated that their main goal was to help in the fight against evil and encourage people through their lectures to stay away from the occult and occult practices. Tony Spera, who married their daughter Judy, is now in charge of the NESPR, Nesper, Nesper. the museum, and their official website. So he kind of keeps their legacy going, and he also seems like a super cool guy. Love that. So now that we know a little bit about Ed and Lorraine, we're going to get into the Smurl family haunting. In 1972, Jack and Janet Smurl were living in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania. They had two daughters, Dawn and Heather. That year, Hurricane Agnes destroyed their home, and they were forced to begin the search for a new place to live. In October of 1973, they moved into a duplex at 328 Chase Street in West Pittston, Pennsylvania, which is about an hour and a half from Philadelphia. Mm, So they lived on one side of the duplex, and then Jack's parents, John and Mary Smurl, moved into the other side in December of that year. So it was a pretty fitting living arrangement, because like Jack's parents got to stay with them, but kind of had their own separate house. Like a little in-law suite. Yeah, so it was like a great <clears throat> arrangement for them. Um, the house, around 80 years old at this time, was the oldest in the neighborhood. They integrated quickly into the community, making friends and joining the local parish. 
For the first year and a half, things remained quiet in the house. After that, the family began to notice some non-threatening, unusual occurrences, such as a rocking chair moving back and forth on its own, drawers opening and closing by themselves, and unplugged radios unexplainably blaring music, which I think would be a really scary experience. That is definitely something that would scare the shit out of me. So Yeah, not cool. So, but they were, at this time, at the beginning, these things were very minor and they would attribute it to, like, logical reasons that it might have happened. I don't know how you explain an unplugged radio playing music anyway. Hell no. With no power source in the the 80s, 70s. Yeah, not in those times. Hell no. But they tried to explain it away. So they noticed a dark mark on one of the bedroom walls, and no matter what they did to cover it up, it would reappear. They eventually opted to install wood paneling on the walls of that room because they just kept trying to paint over this big... It almost looked like a blob of like smoke, like a smoke stain or something on the white wall. Weird. And so they would paint over it and over and or over like it. like wallpaper it or something. Yeah, and it would just continue to like show through like layers and layers of that's paint. That's so weird. Very that's weird. Like, that's like... would have Like if you were to justify that in any way, it would be like mold would be my thought, but... Yeah. You would definitely smell that, and they would have known it was mold, so... Right, because it wouldn't be just a stain. It would be, like, texturized. Right, exactly. It would be wet. Yeah, so they ended up just putting wood paneling all on that wall because they just gave up on trying to, like, save the original. I mean, same. That would drive me fucking insane. Could you imagine? Yeah. Super annoying and expensive. So, um, more malevolent occurrences would happen from time to time, like foul smells manifesting with no explanation and claw marks appearing to have been scratched into the remodeled walls. Oh, no. So as we know from last week, smelling gross smells is not a good sign. If I know that that shit's happening, there is a demon around. (laughs) So the Smurls began working on some small renovations inside the house and thought that the occasional paranormal activity was harmless. In 1977, Mary gave birth to twins Karen and Shannon. So now there are four little, well, not little, Dawn and Heather were older, but there's four girls in the family now. And then Jack and Janet and Mary and John living on the other side. Another large family with all daughters. Yeah, which Brian and I were talking about. It's weird coincidence that that is very common in the Warrens cases. True. Like the Perrin family from The Conjuring, if you've seen the movies, it was all girls. Mm -hmm. And I even think the Enfield poltergeist was all girls right as well like the conjuring 2 i think it was yeah yeah and then the family we covered last week yeah wasn't it all girls yeah yeah it was it was three sisters yep. and the fourth one passed away yeah. in the annalise mckell case the annalise mckell so yeah. brian and i were like theorizing that demons have like are interested in young girls for some reason like terrifying. their energy like draws them in or something maybe Absolutely the innocence i don't know what it is but yeah that is spooky it is spooky So life continued on for the family until April 29th, 1985, the night of Heather's confirmation into the Catholic Church. So up until this point, just like small, creepy little things were happening. Nothing major. But then 1985. (laughs) Yes, April 29th. As Heather, Janet, and the other girls were finishing getting ready in the kitchen, a light, which was bolted into the ceiling above the island countertop, began to shake violently ripped out of the ceiling and crashed onto the island where one of the twins was sitting. 
it just barely missed the young girl who began to cry immediately. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it just like crashed out of the ceiling, like right in front of her, just barely missed like landing right on her. Absolutely not. And it's interesting because this is the night they're getting ready for Heather's confirmation into the church. Right, right. So it's very interesting. They're like singing religious songs and like having a gay old time. And this light just like crashes down out of the ceiling. And it's the first like really big thing that happened to the family. Wow. So Jack and Janet swear that there was no way the light had simply come loose. After this event, things would continue to get worse. Later, Ed Warren would explain that the family had experienced up to this point. Okay, hold on. Later, Ed Warren would explain that what the family had experienced up to this point were the beginning stages of infestation. Mm -hmm. It is possible that the night of the confirmation may have angered the demon that was at bay in the house, calling him out of the shadows to release his full wrath on the Smurls in the months to come. The family's spirits were high that evening, and religious songs were being sung in the house as they prepared for the event. Now confirmation's a huge deal in the Catholic community. Right. So there's like some theories that we'll get into that maybe... That's what drew this demon out. Like they were having all these weird occurrences that led up to this night where things really kind of took off and got really shitty for the family. And so we'll go over some theories as to why that may have happened, but it's kind of thought that That the stuff that they're religious. That was like the trigger. Right. Exactly. Yep. So as time passed, the family were often awakened by bizarre banging noises on the walls and ceilings. A mysterious stain randomly appeared on a brand new rug. Just like the wall. Oh, God. No matter how many times the stain was cleaned, it would reappear. Eventually, they gave up getting rid of the rug itself. The family, especially Janet and Mary, began to hear disembodied voices in the house. Oh, no. And also, like, it could just be a coincidence because these two were home alone quite often. Like, the men would be out working, children would be at school, and, like, Janet and Mary would be home on the two opposite sides of the house. Right. So that may have been why they saw more things, but it's quite... A coincidence. So these voices would mimic members of the family using foul language they usually would not speak, almost if trying to cause division between members of the Smurl family. So like Mary, like one time, like she thought that she heard um, Jack and Janet like arguing and using like a lot of profanities, which is like a Roman Catholic, like really like well-to-do basic average American family. They didn't really cuss a lot. And so, like, when Mary heard this, it actually caused an argument because she was like, I didn't know that my son talked that way and I didn't raise him to speak that way. But it didn't actually happen. This was, like, the demon, like, mimicking Janet and Jack, which is something that, like, you'll hear about in a lot of demonic cases. Um, Like, the if the... You hear a spirit, like, mimicking the voices of other family members, it's most likely a demonic presence. It's like what we talked about happened to me at Gold Camp Road with, I definitely heard my ex's voice call my name. Yeah. From that woods. I was like, there's no way. It was like, there's just no way that he's Mm -hmm. out there. Like, And literally the point of that is, is that either the demon wants to cause some kind of emotional triggering Mm -hmm. for some reason, like, through using that voice. Or, like we said here, they're trying to divide the family. They're trying to cause conflict. Because the next step is isolation. Right. Yeah. Great point. So during one particular event, Janet was in the basement doing laundry. She heard a voice calling her name over and over again. She looked around the basement, and as she had thought, she was totally alone. Not only that, but she was also the only one home on this side of the duplex. The voice called her name again. She asked in a terrified voice, what do you want? 
Well, the no. voice did not answer. It continued to call her name. I mean, what else are you supposed to no, do? No, you don't acknowledge it. You literally, <laughs> you sit there and you pretend like you hear nothing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, fair enough. But that I is can what imagine, you do. Like, you're just hearing someone call you over and over and it's not stopping. Like, that would be not only creepy and scary, but it would also be, like, irritating. Yeah. And you'd have that feeling of, like, I'm going fucking insane. You'd want the voice to stop. So, like. No, just I, don't do it. I can't blame don't her. Don't do it. <laughs> So after she, like, calls out, like, what do you want, the voice just continues to call her name. Ed believes that these voices are often telepathically projected from the demon or spirit to the listener, explaining why it's often only heard by the person being targeted. Mm. So, like, Ed would, like, explain in this interview that I watched that, like, a lot of times when, like, people are hearing voices that no one else can hear and it's attributed to a demonic possession or something like that. It's because that demon isn't actually making, like, sound that you're hearing. They're sending it to your mind. Right. Which is a crazy thing. So, basically, like, if Janet were to have been, like, being videotaped, for example, down in the basement doing this, you wouldn't hear the voice calling her name. Right. On the tape. You would just hear her go, what do you want? Yeah. And she looks fucking insane. Yeah. But she's actually hearing this voice. But then that's where, like, we were talking about uh, Annalise McHale last week, like... If she's hearing these voices whispering in her ears and stuff, how do we know that they weren't really happening and that it was just her being, like, having an episode, you know? Like, that's a crazy concept that, like, you could look like you're fucking insane, but it's really explainable. That girl's case is still wild to me. I have not gotten over it. If you haven't listened to that episode yet, go the fuck back and listen to the Annalise McKell episode. Definitely, hands down, probably the most wild possession story I've ever heard. Oh, yeah. Hands down. Absolutely. So there is um, several pictures of the Smurl family, like family photos, cute little 80s style family photos on the blog. So if you want to see what they look like, make sure you go and check that out. So the spirit would occasionally man itself visibly as a black mist. Yet again, both Mary and Janet claimed to be the ones who saw this activity happen most often. Mm. While folding clothes one afternoon, Janet felt a distinct chill in the air. She turned around to see a black mist, human-like in shape, floating through the room. She mustered the courage to follow the mist into the living room, but of course there was nothing there by the time she caught up with it. She immediately hurried over to the other side of the duplex to see Mary. When she reached her, she was also visibly upset. Mary told Janet that a dark figure had just come through the wall and passed through the house. Ed and Lorraine would later explain that these shadow ghosts are the most dangerous. As the Smurl family women grew more terrified, the demonic presence fed on their fear and the psychic energy they put into the atmosphere, gaining strength. So, and Lorraine would point out a lot in this case that, like, as they were attacked more often and their fear grew, it made the demon stronger because they were so terrified. Yeah, so. Exactly. And it's like, it takes so much energy for them to manifest. And once they do have that energy to manifest, like in my eyes are basically fucked. Yeah. (laughs) And as, uh, and Lorraine said, these like shadow figures that start to appear are really dangerous. Like they're a bad sign. Oh yeah. And so we've seen over the years and years, the Smurl family has already lived in this house. Like this is not them just moving in. They've been there for a long time. Right. And they've had their children in this house. Like it's been a, a process. It's been their home basically. Yeah. And we've seen the haunting like progressively getting worse and worse. And now this black mist is appearing. But that story is pretty crazy because, like, Janet literally catches sight of this mist for the first time. And she tries to follow it and it disappears. And then when she runs over the other side of the house, because Mary's the only other one home on the other side of the duplex, 
Mary says that she just saw it come through the wall before Janet even told her what had happened to her. They had both seen it. Yeah, so that's a pretty compelling story. So the horrifying events continued. Jack and Janet say that something new happened almost every day from here on out. Jack says that one of his earliest memories of the haunting was being touched on the shoulder in bed. Janet also claims to have been touched on the thighs while sleeping. Oh, no. Yeah, it's going to get worse in that respect. So Dawn began to complain of ghostly figures hovering above her bed. The children would say they heard the fluttering sounds of wings in their bedrooms at night, which... No. Don't like that at all. No. Ooh. I just... I can hear it in my head. Like, I can... I can just hear that sound, and could you imagine? Oh, no. it reminds me of uh, Candyman. Yes, with the bees. Yes. That's what I'm hearing in my mind when I think of that. Very close. Ugh. So scary. Janet would hear water running and what sounded like someone taking a bath. Only discovered that there was no one in the bathroom. So she'd hear like water splashing and like what sounded like there was somebody in the bathtub. But all her daughters would be accounted for. So she'd go upstairs and open that bathroom door. No one's in the bathtub. No water's in the bath. Just these weird, like, splashing sounds and shit coming out oh, of there. fuck no. So weird. Jack thought something was wrong with the plumbing, as the toilet would seemingly flush itself over and over again. When he would try to fix the problem, he found everything to be in perfect working order. Their dog, a German shepherd named Simon, would also be attacked by the spirits, which makes me so sad. I hate when shit happens to dogs. He's and it in, always does. It yeah, always does. I know. Every time, if there's a dog in a scary movie, I'm just like trying to prepare myself for like you the know worst that's going to happen. Fucking dog is about to die. Yeah, <laughs> the worst. Um, but uh, in one of the videos that I watched um, to learn more about this case, um, which we'll talk about in the future, but uh, Simon was in it, and he's. So freaking cute. He's like just a big old German shepherd. Because dogs are better than people. The best. So Jack and Janet would wake up to the sounds of the dog howling, only to find that he was sleeping soundly next to their bed. He was seemingly transported, for lack of a better word, throughout the house. Now this is weird, okay? So for example, there was a time when they saw the dog cross the hallway at the top of the stairs while Jack was sitting on the top step. When Jack called to him, he appeared at the bottom step as if he had been on the bottom floor the entire time. So picture this in your mind, like Jack's sitting on the very top stair in the house and whoever's talking to him, like notices the dog cross the hallway behind him in the back, like walk across the hallway from one room to the next. So then he turns, calls him. Yes. And then boom, he's down at the bottom of the stairs. He's down at the bottom of the stairs. Which is impossible because it's only one staircase in the house. Exactly. Yes. And how could he have done that like so quick? But so yeah, like, and I read other things that Janet had said about like, she would like wake up in the morning and find that the dog was outside, but no one had let him out. Like he would just be outside the closed door. Like somebody had put him out there. Oh no. Yeah, like things like that. Like they they could only describe it as the dog was transporting, like just manifesting from See, one area of the house know. to the next. Dogs sense things. That's unless, why that's why ghosts and demons don't like them. Exactly. Unless <laughs> too, the demon was like impersonating the dog. Like looking like the dog. That's, like that's what I would imagine was the case with the whole stairs situation. Yeah, like the the demon dog crossed was the hallway the but the real one across was, the yes. hall. Yeah. Oh. Ew. That's so scary. The dog seemed to sense the disturbing atmosphere, often appearing on edge and uncomfortable. Yeah, dogs know. Mm -hmm. When no one was home, they'd lock both the front and back doors, only to return to find one or the other not only unlocked, but open. 
So that's dangerous as fuck. They'd leave the house and come home and the front door that had been locked when they open. left is just open. So then you cut, you go to go inside the house and you're like, oh, is this the fucking is there demon? fucking someone in or here? Or is someone like, inside? I don't, yeah. know, I don't know which one is more comforting. <laughs> Probably the burglar scenario. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> they began to have trouble with electrical fires and new appliances. At one point, the television burst into flames, which oh, reminds God. me of the Sally House. That reminds me of the Sally House. Mm-hmm. In the summer of 85, Janet was pulled from the bed and lifted some six feet into the air for the first of many times to come. So, like, Janet was, like, one of the most, was probably the most tortured member of the family by this demon. And we might see why later. That'll come into play for sure. But, like, she would claim, like, right when things got really bad, she would just be laying down and something would, like, grab her leg and pull her out of bed. And there were several times where she, like, levitated in the air in the bedroom. Literally just like the mom and the parent family. It was the mom that was worse. Yes. Like, mostly affected. So weird, these uh, coincidences. Ugh. As things began to worsen, Janet attended one of the Warrens' lectures at a local college after hearing about them from a professor. When the lecture was over, she approached them, finding them to be credible in their knowledge of the occult and paranormal. She asked for their help, and soon after, the Warrens came to visit the property on January 17, 1986. The Smurls had lived in the house for 13 years at this point. Dawn was 16, Heather was 13, and Shannon and Karen were 7. They interviewed and questioned the Smurls, even having them psychologically evaluated by professionals. So the Warrens were covering all the bases. They were like, let's make sure you're not just insane. Exactly. And that you're credible. Well, at that time, they needed to make sure they were doing absolutely everything right to make sure that no one could discredit them. Mm -hmm. You know what's weird, too? Another coincidence with last week's Annalise McKell episode is this was practically going on at the same time. It was, wasn't it? The early 1970s is when it all started. True. So when I was like typing up this article and I was like typing like 1973, I was like, that's the year that Annalise like blah, blah, blah. It's also (laughs) just like Mrs. Perrin too. Mrs. Perrin went and tracked down Ed and Lorraine at a college lecture to help the family, to help the Perrin family. Hmm. That's kind of weird. That is weird. I have to say that's kind of weird. I don't know what to think about that. That's weird. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Little, but you know, whatever. <laughs> we still, we back still in these them. days, how else were you going to get in contact with them? <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, that's what they were doing to make their living. And like we said, like their whole point of that is that they were trying to inform these college age kids that like fucking with the occult was not the way to go, no. and that demons were real. That because was their that's, whole point. That was the main target was college kids and young adults. Yeah, that's actually something they said too when I was reading about that. Yeah. yeah. So Lorraine immediately picked up on four separate spirits in the Smurl residence. A harmless elderly woman, a young and possibly violent girl, a man who had passed away the home, and a demon who may have control over the other three. Ed did an experiment in which he played Gregorian chants through a speaker in one of the bedrooms. The Warrens began to pray together. The house and the closet door in the room began to rattle. Items on the dresser began to dance, as Lorraine explained it, and an icy cold filled the air. Ed attempted to banish the demon with more prayer and holy water. The activity suddenly stopped. Jack said he felt washed over with a wave of relief. The Warrens needed no further evidence. They recommended the Smurls contact the Catholic Church. One of the Warrens' first interviews with the Smurl family was recorded and it's available on the blog if you want to go check it out um it was really interesting i watched the whole thing it's almost an hour and a half long right oh wow but it's so cool because you see ed and lorraine in their prime 
And like the video is kind of shitty because it's freaking the 1980s. Yeah, like early 1980s. Well, I guess mid-1980s. But, like, yeah, so it's, like, all old-looking. And we see Lorraine, like, doing a legit interview with the Smurl family, asking them about what's happened. And then she goes and walks around the house and, like, does a walkthrough of, like, explaining, like, what's been going on there. Yeah, so if you want to see Lorraine in action, you're going to want to go check out at least a little bit of that Definitely check it out. Yeah. And that came from the official um, Ed and Lorraine Warren YouTube channel that – Tony Spera is in charge of now. So he was the one who posted that. Authentic. Yes. Following the Warrens' advice, the Smurls attempted to reach out to their priest. Unfortunately, their request for help was not received well. The priest came to bless the house, but refused to do anything further until the diocese approved it. The diocese would not give the Smurls the time of day, asking them to provide evidence of the demonic attacks. Which it's like, it's the 1980s. Like, what do you want me to do? What the hell am I supposed to be showing? You yeah, right? I haven't caught any creepy pictures. Like, we are not really being, like, scratched or anything. So what fucking evidence How do you want? How are we supposed to document what's happening? Yeah. So Lorraine also attempted to reach out on their behalf and received the same answer. Lorraine would account, quote, One time, after traveling all the way down there to meet with this priest and talk to him, he told me he didn't have time for me that day because a couple was coming to seek his instruction before they got married. So, like, he literally Lorraine okay. drove from Connecticut to where they are in Pennsylvania and went to go try to talk to the same priest that was a part of the uh, the Smurls church that they had already tried to reach out to, and he was just not having it. Okay. I don't have time for you, basically. Jesus. So they told Lorraine they had no intention of performing an exorcism on the house. The Smurls felt as though, as though their own church had turned their backs on them. Almost as if punishing them for seeking help, things reached an almost unbearable level of torture by the demon in the house. Simon was thrown across the living room by an unseen force in full view of the family. Oh my god. Poor pup. He was literally like lifted up and just like tossed in front of the view of everyone. Like this was like not just a couple people saw this, like most of the the family family, saw it. Yeah. Things began to go missing, including Jack's medical bracelet and some of the girls' clothing. Once in a while, these items would reappear, covered in a layer of dust. Jack speculated that the items were being hidden in the attic of the house by the spirits. So he literally thought that they were, like, based on, like, dust and soot that was on them. Because I guess there was, like, an old fireplace in the attic, which I, mm. I don't know how that works. But there was, like, an old fireplace up there. And he thinks that the spirit or the demon was literally, like, residing up there and would steal these items and take them and hide them up there and then just kind of put them back when he felt like it. Weird. So that shows like a pretty powerful spirit if he's like literally moving objects to a different area of the house. Yeah, literally. It's crazy. There were several instances in which Shannon and Karen were thrown from their bunk beds in the middle of the night. Janet would recount to the Warrens a night in which she and Jack were up talking in their bedroom at 1 a.m. After hearing a loud bang, they emerged into the hallway to find that Shannon was lying at the bottom of the staircase. She had no idea how she had gotten there. Even the neighbors would report hearing screaming and seeing lights flashing in the house while no one was home. So, like, even the neighbors would, like, they would, like, come over and ask Jack and Janet what the hell was going on and why there was screaming. And they'd be like, what were you talking about? We weren't home. And they were like, the lights were flashing in the windows and we heard this demonic screaming, like, from outside. So that's crazy. Jack's mother suffered a heart attack, and the paranormal activity began to take a psychological toll on every member of the family, even driving a wedge in Jack and Janet's marriage. Janet continued to be pulled from the bed, even with Jack in the room. She claims that the shadow figure would touch her thighs and even molest her. 
So trigger warning, we're going to get into some pretty disturbing stuff Ew, right now. What the fuck? So just prepare yourself if you don't want to hear about like rape or any of that, which is totally understandable. Make sure that you, you're going to want to skip forward a little bit or something. Oh, God. So she recounts times when she would be lying right next to Jack, screaming his name and trying to wake him up, but he would not budge. Ed describes this as phantomania or psychic paralyzation in which the demon is controlling the body even without the victim being aware, such as preventing them from awakening during sleep. Oh my God. So the demon would like come in to terrorize Janet and he'd just make sure apparently like put this force over Jack to keep him keep Make him sure sleeping. he never woke up. Yeah. Like that's really terrifying. This whole case is terrifying, but Jack also claims to have been sexually and physically assaulted by the demon recounting a particularly traumatic event in which he was watching a baseball game when a woman appeared to him in the living room. So this is probably the most major event in this entire case. Oh God! So Jack is sitting in the living room watching baseball and this woman comes in and this is what he had to say about it. Quote, I hate to think about her. Her skin was paper white, but was covered in some places with a scaly surface and then at other places with open sores, the kind you'd think a leper would have or something. And these sores were running with pus. Yeah, just disgusting. She had long, white, scraggly hair. Her eyes were all red, and the inside of her mouth and gums were green. Some of her teeth were missing, but those she had were long and vampire-like. He goes on to recount the sexual assault at this point, um, where the demon held him down and climbed on top of him. Uh... If you read the book, we'll talk about it on this case. He gives a full description of what happened, and it's really disturbing. So I didn't want to put that on you guys, but just know that she sec- the demon sexually assaulted him at this point, like full on. Quote, I don't remember feeling anything at all other than panic and terror. Then she vanished just like that. Ed would say in a future interview with his son-in-law, Tony Spera, that interview that I mentioned, that Jack hated to talk about this encounter with the demon, and it deeply affected him for the rest of his life. So, yeah, that sounds just disgusting, terrifying, Mm. terrible, and like, just so bad. So when the family would attempt to escape the terror, such as going on a camping trip for a few days, strange things would continue to happen around them or one of the family members would catch a glimpse of the black mist. They realized that even if they were to move or leave the property for good, the demonic presence had latched onto them, and they would continue to be followed. Ed and Lorraine began to realize they were dealing with a succubus, which would explain why many of the attacks were on the matriarchs of the family, and wanted to drive them out and separate them from Jack and John. So this is why we see at the beginning... Mary and Janet getting attacked over and over the most right. often and seeing the mists and everything because it wants them out of the picture so that this succubus, which is this demon that, so there's like, there's a succubus. And then what's the other one? There's the male version, a succubus. Oh and... God. Um, shoot. Let's see. It's on the tip of my tongue again. I always forget words, <laughs> but a succubus is like the female version of the demon that like, an incubus. An incubus. An incubus. What is the description? That is An is incubus there? is a demon in male form in folklore that seeks to have sexual intercourse with sleeping women. The corresponding spirit in female form is called a succubus. Exactly. Okay. Thank you for looking that up. Yeah. That explains exactly what I was trying to say. Yeah. The succubus is the female version and the incubus, incubus is the male version. Ed would later say in that interview as well that like 
it's not really a male or female. It's just appearing that way. Like right. these demons, they never walked the earth. They're right. an unworldly creature. They've never lived. Exactly. But they appear as women and men. So right. that's terrible. So Ed explains that the succubus commits these acts purely to, quote, insult God and the creation of birth. That's why they, like, rape and sexually assault people. They believe that there are a few reasons that the succubus could have been driven out of hiding. The Smurl's strong faith in God, Heather and Dawn reaching puberty, which is a particularly vulnerable time, and renovations occurring in the home. So um, Ed and Lorraine were basically, like, trying to, understand why this haunting was happening and why like the, wide out. yeah and because the, the demon had laid dormant it seemed for quite some time but on the night of the confirmation it seemed to like awaken yeah and <laughs> as we were talking about they did speculate that the fact that the girls were at like puberty age was part of the reason this demon came out which could explain the other cases we were talking about like the parent family and all that so that's a really interesting point. And that's then, of crazy. course, every time we hear of a family doing renovations in a haunted house, it, like, awakens things. Oh, yeah. You're disturbing the house. Yeah. And I don't know if I've mentioned this on a previous episode, but it makes me think about, like, Zach Bagans one time was, like, on one of his episodes I was watching that really caught my attention. He was talking about how, like, he feels like wood specifically remembers things. Oh, yeah. Like, wood, like like holds energy and like remembers like has a memory i absolutely agree and so yeah that's part of the reason when you like do renovations especially on older like wood houses like majority wood houses it like awakens the spirits because it's like holding that energy the residual energy Mm -hmm. the residual whispers are released residual now knowing the full severity of the situation they brought in family friend father robert mckenna so the ed and lorraine bring in this priest friend of theirs Robert McKenna. He had worked with the Warrens for many years and performed countless exorcisms during his career. Father McKenna carried out the exorcism on the Smurl home, carrying a crucifix, a rosary, and holy water. He went from room to room performing the rites. He went outside and performed the ritual around the perimeter of the house as well. Mm -hmm. The exorcism provided temporary relief for the family, but after a short while, the activity resumed. The wrappings on the wall foul odors, and levitating objects marked the return of the demon. Ew. So as we see in, like, a lot of demonic cases, and as we obviously saw with Annalise Mikkel, apparently there's a lot of coincidences here between those two cases. Oh, yeah. So I guess that... And they happened around the same time. Yeah. It was uh, good luck for us picking those at the same time. <laughs> Literally. But uh, apparently, like, a lot of times, especially just the first exorcism, does not do any good. Like, these demons have to be weakened, like, time and time again a lot of times for this to work out. True that. So, yeah, their first exorcism with Father McKenna worked for a little while, and then activity started up again. Father McKenna returned for a second attempt, performing the exorcism once more. Over the next few days and weeks, things were peaceful. The Warrens would say that the, quote, hold the demon had on the Smurl family was one of the strongest they had ever encountered. Once again, the exorcism was unsuccessful in expelling the demon, and activity ramped up once more. Ed said that the exorcisms weren't successful because, quote, God was not yet ready to show his power over this evil. Hmm. The family was exhausted, and their anger began to grow over the lack of help and support from their own church. They decided to take their story public in hopes of shaming the church into assisting them. They appeared on several talk shows, and their story appeared in local newspapers. 
They even collaborated with the Warrens on the publication of a book about their story, which is titled The Haunted. And there's a link to purchase that book on Amazon if you want to read it. There's actually one author who has written like probably a dozen books about the Warrens cases. Like he's the Mm. one who like writes the books about their stories. And I can imagine that that's pretty interesting. So if you want to read about some of the Warrens cases, um, go check out that link. And the author is Robert Curran. I think that's how you say it. Yeah, so you can look him up too. Official author of the Warrens. (laughs) They quickly regretted this as the media was relentless and the family was under constant scrutiny and speculation. So like they would just have like reporters on their lawn all the time, like waiting for them to come outside so they could like get in their face. I believe it. Some of their neighbors started being rude as hell to them, thinking that they were like faking it, of course, as we've seen. Like so... Right away, they were like, oh, maybe this wasn't a good idea, like, going on these shows. Maybe this sucked. Yeah. But all they were thinking about was, like, compelling the church to believe them and help them. That's all they wanted was help. Yeah. The best thing, which makes me think, too, of the legitimately, legitimacy. It makes me think, yes, of the legitimacy of this um, haunting, too, because, like, why would they embarrass themselves like this when they were so associated with the church and everything? Like, why would they get angry and cause like a stink over it if it wasn't they definitely actually don't happening. strike me as the kind of family that would do this exactly and they were like they'd already gone through that hurricane and lost their house like they just wanted to live a peaceful ass literally, life literally that's all like, they wanted i don't think they were making this up so the best thing to come out of their decision to go public was a large prayer group showing up at the home to hold a candlelight pra- prayer session with the family so that was nice like a bunch of people showed up light the candles and prayed with them praying other than that it was pure torture so during this time, a few priests attempted to visit the home, including one who stayed with them for two days, seeking proof of the Smurls' claims. Of course, the demon hid away during those 48 hours, Naturally. and little to no activity occurred. So he left promptly without helping the family, even as Janet pled with him to stay. In 1987, at their wit's end with the attacks and tired of being harassed by reporters and random strangers outside of their home, the Smurls moved back to Wilkes-Barre. Apparently, just as they suspected it would, strange phenomena followed them to the new house. So they had talked already about, like, this thing's just going to follow us. we got to try to fight it. And then they give up and move, and it definitely followed them. Of course it did. Yeah. So one man who was studying to be a priest in Rome read the book and was appalled by the lack of action from the Catholic Church to uplift a family in need. He wrote a letter which he sent to Cardinal Ratzinger at at the Vatican. The cardinal reached out to the Smurl family's church, and within days, the same priest who had refused them help in the beginning was knocking on the door at their new home in Wilkes-Barre. He brought them a small gift, which was presumably an apology without an apology. Yeah, of course. And announced that Rome had intervened and was sending an exorcist to clear the Wilkes-Barre residents of the evil presence once and for all. So basically, at the beginning, he was like, I'm not doing this without further permission. And then he was like, I got the top permission I needed. So sorry. Like, we're going to figure this out. Mm. I fucked up. So upon the performance of this exorcism, the demon, who was perhaps weakened by the change in environment, was finally expelled once and for all. The Smurls finally lived in peace after this event and never reported any further activity to the church or the Warrens. Since the haunting of the Smurl family went public, there has been much speculation around their case. Like many others the Warrens were involved in, critics believed that the family was in league with the couple in an effort to make money off of a fabricated story. Of course, that's what they thought. Yeah. 
In my opinion, this is one of the most believable demonic hauntings that we have studied or heard about so far. Absolutely. I think a lot of what the Smurl family made sense, like said, made sense. None of it was like too over the top. I think the things they experienced were believable. They were relevant. They happened over years and years. And like, it's not like they were like experts in what a succubus was. Like Jack was just going to make up this humiliating story of being raped by a demon. Like, I highly doubt that. Yeah, it's definitely, yeah, because a lot of men don't go public with stuff like that. Exactly. So, like, they're not just going to come out and embarrass themselves, put all this work into this house, and then torture themselves and be tortured by the demon to the point that they have to move. Yeah, literally. So, I really believe that this was a real true case that happened. And um, I feel super sorry for the family for all they went through in those years because it was, like, a long drawn out process feel bad for him yeah what do you think do you think it was legit oh hell yeah Yeah. i definitely do this one is not questionable like last week's case i don't think i think this is pretty believable and that we can uh believe in what the smurls were telling us true that so on may 6th 1991 a made for tv movie named after the book the haunted made its debut um, so, yeah, like, this was an early 90s movie. So, mm. like, the quality isn't, like, the greatest. There's not, like, a lot of special effects or anything, obviously. But the entire thing is for free to watch on YouTube, which oh, okay. is funny because last week I was making fun of that. And I was like, Same. yeah, but actually, it was so good. <laughs> it was actually a really good movie. And people, um, apparently, like, when I was doing my research, I saw that it kind of has, like, a cult following. Like, oh, a lot okay. of people still continue to, like, watch this movie all the time. Huh. Even though it was just, like, made for TV. It didn't go in the theaters or anything. It wasn't, like, a super big deal at the time. Little high school musical. <laughs> yeah, but the movie was actually so good, guys. So it's linked on the blog for you guys to watch for free on YouTube if you want to check it out. It's a perfect time to do so. And it's, like, creepy. And it's not so scary that, like, your teenagers couldn't watch it. Like, it, like you could watch it with, like, younger people. And it's, like, not too inappropriate oh, okay. or anything. Um, so, yeah. It was a great movie. Does and I have, highly like, recommend it. like, the fucking succubus scene it, it did but it wasn't like graphic or anything it okay. mostly just kind of looks like the succubus is like holding him down so mm. it's not like super yeah right okay. it was creepy though <laughs> it was real creepy for an early 90s movie but it was awesome and it was made with support from both the warrens and the smurl family so they like made sure that the details were like pretty accurate right and, and the like, story was being told the way they wanted yeah they approved of it so yeah if you want to go watch that movie go click the link on our blog and check it out i highly recommend it check it out and obviously so like even though this was one of the lesser known cases that we're covering like they did make a movie about it like brian said it was kind of a big deal but i bet you guys didn't know like any of these details till now so. i didn't know a lot of these details yeah i definitely didn't you're welcome yet again <laughs> <laughs> so that wraps up our first post for Warrens week Warrens brought to you by the warrens <laughs> what do you think about the smurl family haunting and what is your opinion on the warrens we'd love to hear your thoughts and opinions so as usual you can send an email to residual whispers at gmail.com mm-hmm. or leave us a comment on the blog post or any of our social media so we'll be back again with another episode in just two days on two the 28th. Short days. Yeah, we'll be bringing you our second episode of the Halloween's Week. Brian, do you want to tell them what we'll be talking about? Uh, we are covering one of my absolute favorite Warren cases, the case of the Devil's Rocking Chair. Yeah, so this will be like our uh, Warren's Haunted Object 
uh, oh, yeah. episode. So covering one of the objects in their museum that is now in Zach Bagan's museum. Mm-hmm. He owns it now. So that'll be really interesting. Oh, yeah. um, and Brian's mom has been begging for us to do this case. So shout out to her because she's going to love this one. Mama has seen the rocking chair live and in person at Zach Bagan's museum. And she definitely said that she's definitely got a story to tell. And I'll tell you guys all about it. Yes, that is so awesome. I can't wait. Um, yeah, and the last thing that we wanted to remind you guys that in just uh, a couple days from when we're recording this, by the time you hear it, we will have already gone on our ghost hunt. But we are getting ready to go on our ghost hunt in a couple days. Mm-hmm. So um, be on the lookout for lots of Instagram posts about it. And then probably in early November, we'll be bringing you guys the details of like what happened while we were there. And we'll tell you all about the prison museum itself. So that's going to be a lot of fun, too. It's going to be awesome. So thank you so much for listening. We're getting closer to Halloween. And thank you for taking the time to join us for our Halloween's week. Mm-hmm. I am your host, Sky, And I am your co-host, Brian. And remember, if it feels like there's somebody there, there probably is. Thank you for being a part of the Residual Whispers community. This podcast was created, written, and hosted by Skylar Daniels, co-hosted by Brian Grace, and edited and produced by Michael Liddell. You can check out all evidence, photos, and stories at residualwhispers.blog. You can contact us with your own paranormal stories, comments, or questions by sending an email to residualwhispers at gmail.com. We'd really appreciate it if you followed us on Instagram at residualwhispersblog and help us grow by subscribing to the blog to receive notifications every time we post. We hope you enjoyed listening and we can't wait to share our next paranormal story with you.